wonderful grand vision that God has given to us, even through the likes of his word from Romans 8, where the glories are not to even be compared to the sufferings that we now have on this earth. And because of these things, they will shine with all the brighter, brighter splendor. And how this song has encapsulated for us some of that uh, splendor for which we long for and look forward to with great hope. And that is the subject this morning as we turned in our Bibles, and I'm going to take this rather topically, but I'm going to begin in Romans chapter 15, the first two verses there, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Our gracious Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray that you would open up our eyes that we can see, and with ears we can hear, and with hearts understand what you have prepared for your people with a little greater understanding, a little greater illumination of the glory of Christ, and so change us from glory to glory into his likeness. We ask the Spirit to fall fresh upon us, and we ask that you would fill this place with your presence, and as the word is preached, bring forth the fruit that would please you in our lives individually, in our life corporately as your bride. Wash us now in the water of the word to make us a beautiful bride without spot or blemish or any such thing. To the praise of the glory of your grace. And we pray that you would guide us now with the applications specific to each one of us. For you know where we are struggling. You know where we have doubts. You know the needed sanctification to continue work in our lives. And so we pray that this message will be fruitful toward those ends. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I think I said Romans 15. It's Romans 5. And as we are rounding out our Sabbath festival weekend and week, I thought I would draw from the title of our, our speaker's book that he wrote back a while, which is entitled Plowing in Hope. And I wanted to encapsulate that word hope and consider that for a bit this morning. But you can't do that without also grouping with it faith. And so I'd like for us to consider and preach on faith and hope. These two qualities are qualities that we desperately need to be deliberate about in our Christian walk. There's so much discouragement in the world today and among so many Christians and many Christians today are struggling in this world. And when the world begins to wane and many of its, much of its culture, it tends to affect Christians in the same parallel fashion. And that shouldn't be that way. So there are many among us today that need hope. Hope for your marriage. Hope for your children. Hope for that things will turn out whatever those things may be. We need faith and hope to be renewed so that we can be joyful Christians characterized with this supernatural peace in a fallen world of chaos. 
This morning I want to consider these two verbal nouns, faith and hope. They're nouns, but they have verbal counterparts so that they are really action words. They are nouns that have activity associated with them. And these two words from Romans chapter 5 here, which we're referring to our justification and our glorification, faith for justification and hope for our glorification, those were the objects here that in this context, they do take different objects, and so we're going to look at several passages of Scripture and assimilating these together as we consider unpacking what these two words are. These two verbal nouns are foundational to our Christian lives. And so in order to unpack these two words this morning, I don't want us to focus necessarily on the particular objects in which they're associated with in the particular text, but rather I want us to see the the words and, and their meaning as well as the differentiating between the two. Because these are foundational to our Christian lives, we have to be very deliberate with them. Because every activity of a Every believer will spring from these two foundational activity words. So for any progress to go on in your Christian life or your Christian growth or your sanctification, you have to give attention to faith and hope. Three things that I would like for us to consider this morning is what is faith or what are faith and hope and how are they distinguishable from one another? The second thing I'd like for us to do is how are they evidenced? How are they evidencing themselves in our lives? And we'll look at a few examples of lives of others to do that. And number three, and this is kind of an application for us today. It is for me, and I hope that it will be helpful for you as well. How do faith and hope affect our emotional state? How how do these things alter our feelings? Now that is important to God. I trust it's also important to you. So let's plow into these for a little bit and consider what these two words are, faith and hope. And in short, the word faith is simply believing. It is an activity word. It does have a cognate verb the verb and the noun, so if you look at the verb of faith, it is the the activity of believing. It's an action of believing that does take an object. And there are several things throughout Scripture that we are called to believe. We are to believe the Bible. We are to believe the promises. We are to believe what God has said in his word. But ultimately, the object of our faith is God himself, who is behind the word, who has given us the word, who has given us the scripture. But the Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews, informs us that there are two imperatives about which we need to believe in God, the ultimate object of our faith. First of all, we, we must believe that God is able By faith, when God tested Abraham to offer up Isaac, 
The scripture says that Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him up. It is imperative that we believe that God is able to do what he says he will do. Do you believe God is able? There's another imperative that is found in that 11th chapter of Hebrews as well with Abraham's wife. Not only do we have to believe that God is able, but secondly, we have to believe that he is faithful. Faithful to his word. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, this is often difficult for us to really accept in the full capacity of which God wants us to accept that he is faithful. And the reason we struggle with this is because it is difficult for us to be consistently faithful. In fact, there is no one who lives upon the earth who is consistently faithful. Will he keep his word? It's not that he wasn't intending to keep his word, but will he keep his word? We often tell things that we have good intentions of keeping, but then some providence or something comes in the way, or, or we, we're weak in some area of care, and we do not keep our word. And so we hedge a little bit with this, and pretty soon we begin to understand we take things with a grain of salt. You don't take God with a grain of salt. He says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. He's faithful. He is faithful in everything. So faith is this activity of believing, the ultimate object of which is God, and there are two imperative things that you have to believe about God, that he is able and that he is faithful. Now secondly, biblical hope is usually not how we think about hope today. The way that we think about hope, and the way we even use the term today, is more of a wish. I, I wish this were to come about. I hope it doesn't rain this weekend. I hope this. I wish this. And that's generally how we use the term today, but that is not the way that the Bible uses the term hope. The Bible uses the term hope, often coupled with faith, as this confident expectation, a confident expectation. A person who has hope is a person who is waiting for something with expectation that it will come to pass. He's expecting something. He's looking for something in the future. And his hope is expecting it. Faith is believing what God has said, that's the content, that he is able to do what he has said, and he is faithful to do what he has said. And then hope, in turn, is in the future anticipation with great confidence that it will come to pass as God said it. It will actually be the case. Now, that's really the essence of Hebrews 11.6 when it says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Believing that God is, is going to envelop that he is able and he is faithful. And with that, we also are to have this hope as we believe in his, him that he will reward personally us with his graces and benefits. Again, that's one of those promises that almost seems a bit presumptuous if we were to declare it, but this is what God says, apart from which will not please him, we must believe that he will reward us, he will bless us. It is his intentions for us to know and to expect his blessing as we trust in him and diligently seek him, according to the scriptures. This morning I want to address these two terms rather topically and teasing out and using some illustrations here and there from other passages to, to nuance some of these truths found within this couplet of faith and hope. I'm going to turn to Acts chapter 27 and look at a, a passage when the, of an event in the life of Paul as he was uh, on this journey heading toward, um, toward Rome. He was a prisoner, a Roman prisoner. He appealed to Caesar and he was put on a ship with 276 people. And this, he was one of the prisoners and one of the many passengers. And there was a storm that came up on the ship and overtook it and it went on for days and days to the place where verse 20 said, all hope was given up. There was no expectation of surviving this. But God had revealed to Paul that in fact they would survive the ordeal even though the ship would be lost. And so in verse 25, he encourages the men of the ship. He says, therefore, men, take heart. I believe God will, that I believe God, that it will be done just as it was told me. I believe God, that it will be just as it was told me. That's a great application every one of us personally pause and think about. That should be mine and your conviction that we ought to apply to everything that God has said in the Bible. It is my belief in God that it will happen just as he said it would happen. It'll turn out just as he said. We believe that God has said it, and then we expect that to happen. We have faith and we have hope. James talks about a faith that is dead. A dead faith is a, a faith without works. It's a belief in something. You can believe it to be true, but you haven't believed it to the extent where you've trusted God to the extent that it is going to be true. You don't order your lives. And so there is a faith 
without the works, which is an evidence of a lively saving faith that is dead. But there's also a dead faith that is without hope. A faith that is not resulting in scriptural expectation is a dead faith. How many Christians operate on that particular level with the reference of so many promises of God? They read the promises of God, but they don't expect it to happen to them. They agree that the promises of God are so, but the next step beyond that is to believe that they are so for them. You see? They have complete faith in the text, but when it comes to themselves, they are doubting, they're fearful, they're anxious, they're disoriented, because they're not sure that that is for them. You don't believe that God rewards them, see, with those promises. They have no hope. They have no scriptural expectation based on what God has said. And just as they would say, I have faith but no works, as James would say, that would be a dead faith. So there is a dead orthodox faith that doesn't produce expectation that I will have those things that God has pledged in his word. And that's a dead faith too. You can somewhat put yourself to the test of this. Is there a promise in the scripture that you need to lay hold of with personal expectancy that God will answer that promise for you? There are many, many promises in Scripture that we are to believe with confident expectation. That's why they're there. Let's drive this point home for a moment. Let's let's think about the first three verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and In his law, he meditates day and night. Here's the promise. He shall be planted like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. And the promise of verse 3, whatever he does shall prosper, That is stated to any person who meets the condition of verses 1 and 2. Do you believe that? Do you expect it for you? God wants us to take hold of that, not with a dead orthodox belief, but he wants us to rise up out of a text like that with certain expectancy that God will prosper you. He's not expecting perfect perfection in the qualifications of verse 1 and 2, but you have to put your foot on the path and get started down this way, trusting in him and believing in him and operate in such a way that you're believing what he is saying here. See, that's what pleases God, that you have to believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. 
Next passage of scripture I'd like to turn to is 1 Peter chapter 1. As we turn to 1 Peter 1, I want to draw our attention down to verse 21, which says this, Who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Here we see faith and hope, again, a couplet that takes on the same object. Here the object ultimately is God himself. And while we trust in the promises of God, and while we hope in what his word declares, it's ultimately God in whom we place our faith, and ultimately God in whom we have our hope. So to trust in God's word is to trust in him who gave us his word. You really can't separate those two. You have to believe that he is able and you have to believe that he is faithful. And in the same way, you have to have this expectation, this hope. And it isn't that we set our expectation ultimately on the thing, but ultimately we set our expectation on the God of the thing, whatever that is. In other words, the able, faithful God of our belief is the able, faithful God of our hope. That if you place your faith in him, he will personally reward you. Expect that. If you don't expect that, you have no hope. It's not presumptuous. If you're trusting in God's work and his purposes and you're claiming these promises that he's given you to order your life around and then you expect him to bless you according to his word and so you order your life around it accordingly. 1 Timothy 6.17 is another passage that I think has some real application to us. It says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now the word trust here, not to trust in the uncertainty of riches, that word trust is the word hope. Do not hope in the uncertainty of riches. Don't expect anything from the certainty or the riches, see. Paul is telling Timothy, uh, and by extension, he's telling us at Heritage, those of you who are rich among this congregation, do not put your hope in the uncertainty of those riches. Don't do that. Don't order your lives in such a way that you're looking to your bank account or to your investments or to your job or your retirement uh, plan that you have and that you get to a certain place that where the, the zeros go out past so many decimals that you can finally say, ah, oh, okay, I feel settled about that now. I feel better. So that if this happens, I can fall back on that. God says don't do that. You're placing your hope on the uncertainty of riches. No, you're to rest your hope on God himself. 
As God has given you these riches, God can as quickly take it back away from you. But one thing is certain, you can still trust that God will provide for you. And you can expect it. So place your hope in God. Fix your expectancy upon him. Now, the second thing I'd like for us to consider is how do we know these things are flourishing in our lives? And there's several tests that we can consider. I want to just take a few examples from Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, which we have often referred to as the great uh, hall of fame of faith here, it it tells us of, of even some of the saints on whose shoulders we stand of how they went about ordering their lives according to faith and hope. Believing in what God has said and then expecting him to come through with his word. In verse 7, we see the example of Noah. Noah believed God's word that he was going to bring a flood upon the earth and he confidently expected what God said that he was going to do about that flood. And he was able to bring it to pass. Noah believed that God was able to bring it to pass. Noah believed that God was faithful in his word, that it would come to pass, and then he expected it to come to pass. And so he went about building an ark for 120 years. His faith fueled his expectation. His expectation fueled his work, and he ordered his life around that expectation. We have that other example that I referred to earlier from verses 17 through 19. Here was Abraham. Now, Abraham had gone through a few incidences with God regarding the promise and the promised seed and the declaration that he would be a father of many nations. And you look up into the stars, Abraham, and as many as you see, your seed is going to be more abundant than that. And uh, what, what about my servant? No, no, no. What about Ishmael? No, no, no. It's going to be through Sarah, your barren wife. And Isaac is going to be the one. Well, he believed in that. He believed his word. He set out on that course that God was able and that God is faithful. And so when the big test came that God says, go and take your son Isaac And take him up and sacrifice him there upon the mountain. What do you think was going through Abraham's mind? What do you think he did? It rose up early in the morning. And he put the wood on Isaac. And he says, come on, son. He goes up on the mountain. He ties him up. He's about to sacrifice his son when the angel stopped him. Abraham believed that Isaac was the chosen seed. Abraham believed that God was faithful, and so what? how did he think about it? He expected God to raise him up. That's what his expectation was. So he went and ordered his life according to his belief and expectation, his faith and hope, and he went about obeying the Lord with the details he knew nothing about. So with confident expectation of the future, he acted in obedience to God. He he trusted God to take care of the details. 
He didn't know what God was going to do. He didn't know the what, how or, 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 or the why or the what. He just ordered his life based upon what he trusted God said. He was able to do. He was faithful to do. And he expected God to do. And so Abraham went about leaving the details of the future to God while he trusted and had confident expectation that God was going to be faithful and he was expecting God to raise up Isaac. Well, it didn't happen that way as we know, but he sure passed the test, and that's why we have this particular example. Joseph believed in God, verse 22. Joseph believed that God was faithful, that he was able, that he was able to lead the children out of Egypt. And that God said that he was going to do that. And so Joseph so expected that to happen upon his deathbed. He said, when that happens, not if it's going to happen, when it happens, take my bones with you to the promised land that God said. I mean, that is confident expectation. Hebrews 11 has example after example of, of saints who have faith and hope. And the hope was always a personal apprehension for themselves of a confident expectation that they were a part of the promise and they were a part of what God had said, that he is able, he is faithful, and that expectation applied to them. If you do not have a personal expectation that it applies to you, you have no hope. So while faith and hope are different from one another, they are inseparable from one another. We are called to believe God. We are called to believe that God is able to do what he says he's going to do, that he is faithful, that he will do what he says he's going to do, and that God is also going to do this to the way that you can personally expect it to come to pass. And without that personal expectation applied to your own life, you do not have hope. That's not what God wants for you. If you have a lively faith, and as the passage earlier said, a lively hope, then you can full well expect the things that God said in his word to come to pass for you. If you do not have hope, you're not going to order your life around those promises. You're not going to live in obedience to the gospel, and yet it is imperative that you do so. You must have faith and hope to order your lives in such a way that you expect what's going to happen that God has promised so that you order your lives according to the gospel. That is why the just shall live by faith. Not figuring it all out, leaving God with the details of the future, you're going to order your life today in the present, trusting him for the things of tomorrow, and be faithful, trusting that he is able, he is faithful, and you're going to hope with confident expectancy he's going to work it out. Man, that's what we need. That is what we need. We need to all be stronger in this, do we not? So lastly, I want to consider how those two qualities of faith and hope affect us emotionally. They affect us in all kinds of ways, but I, I want to focus it, how do they affect us emotionally? How does faith and hope alter our disposition in how we look about the future? 
And I know I need some help connecting the dots here spiritually down in my heart. And I'm sure that you could use a little help from the Spirit in connecting those dots in your own life. The last couple of years have been a stressful and unsettling year for our world. From COVID to wokeness in our culture to unsettling of our nation that precipitated with the George Floyd incident, the rapid rise of crime in many cities to the defunding of the police movement that was a catalyst to those things, to the political unrest and the economic uncertainties and stresses with impending hyperinflation and a recession, a war between Russia and Ukraine that has affected the entirety of the world. People are unsettled, they're fearful, they're anxious, and they're worried. And that unsettled spirit of our age has come into the church. And the stresses of society should not be our stresses. But in many ways, they have come in through the back door of many Christians' lives and in their families and even into the church. And many Christians are very unsettled by it all. We're seeing the symptoms and the fruit of it. We're seeing marital counseling at an all-time high. We're seeing pastors leaving their ministries. We're seeing churches close their doors, never to reopen. We see many good, solid churches dwindling in numbers. Many of the churches have succumbed to the wokeness of the world. The spiritual warfare is fierce. But we are a people who are called to faith and hope with confident expectancy that God will reward his people. We are not of this world, just as Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And while we live in this world, we are to live in faith, believing that God is, that he is able, and he is faithful to his word. Do you believe that? And we are to live with a certain expectation in God that these blessings that he has promised in his word will happen to us personally. Doesn't matter what's going on in the world. It doesn't matter who is the president. It doesn't matter what country we live in. It doesn't matter what era or generation we live in. We, at all times, as the church universal has had, have faith and hope in God. And the world will not change that if your faith is in God and your certain expectancy is in God. If you believe he is able, believe he is faithful to do what he's promised, then place your certain expectation that that will happen personally to you. And you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be anxious like the world. You don't have to be unsettled in your spirit. You don't have to be fretting over tomorrow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that the world worries about. That will be added to you. Get the priority here. And be certain that God will be true to that word of promise to you. 
These two verbal qualities are designed by God to affect us emotionally. For the last passage, I'm going to turn to Romans 15, 13. And I want you to see this. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn there. Romans 15, 13. I want you to see this. I want you to digest this. I want you to hear this. I want you to absorb this. I want you to understand this. Again, the focus is not the, object, the objects of faith and hope this morning. But I want you to see some of the association from this particular verse, which says this. Now, may the God of hope, that is the God who is the object of your expectation, fill you with certain things all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse addresses particularly the success of missions. That's its context. But dismissing that particular object for a moment, we should recognize here that faith and hope operate in the same way no matter what the objects are. May the God of hope fill you with certain feelings, joy and peace in believing him. Isn't that what everybody wants? Joy and peace? Isn't that what so much of the world is trying to pursue and seek by their own means and by the flesh of which they will never reach it because it's always a fruit of something else? of someone else. And believing the content of all that he has said, how do you know that you're doing this? So the question that you should ask yourself as you test yourself out in this, do you experience joy from day to day when you read your scriptures and the Holy Spirit opens your heart? Is this a, a daily thing that's going on in your life? Do you read the scriptures with sufficient expectation that it will alter your disposition? Or after the reading the scripture, are you in the same anxiousness when you get up from the scripture, rising out of that text as you were when you entered into it? That's a question you need to ask yourself. Determine if you have hope. Belief, this faith, is looking down and seeing what God has said. An expectation is turning to the future and anticipating you will receive it. Is God speaking to you this way in his holy word through the Spirit? And when you rise up from the text of Scripture, can you rise up with expectation that will affect your disposition about the things that you're anxious about or worried about or unsettled about? George Mueller, who some of you may know who I'm referring to, had a statement about his own Bible reading in the morning. And you know, 
with the orphanages and the busy life that he had, and he depended upon God in prayer for every need that he had, and for years went by that he'd never shared a certain need, only with God, and he saw God's hand come in so many ways. But he says when he said that it was his first great business every day is to get his soul happy with the Lord. That was his first great business. And look at the difference that that makes when you and I go through a day rejoicing in the Lord. It, it changes the entire day, does it not? When you begin to get your soul happy with the Lord, you begin your day that way. That you can go about your day and everything giving thanks. And so when the, the problems come and the stumbling blocks are laid before you, whatever the testing is that you can, who started off happy with the Lord, now have a disposition that you are now reminded that God is able, God is faithful, and I should expect God's blessing. Even through this test. See, faith and hope are supposed to affect our feelings. And, and, and if, how, how else is God to arouse unspeakable joy and the peace of God that passeth all understanding in us? Isn't that what you want for your children? Don't you want for your children joy and peace? That's what God wants for his children question is, is that what your faith is producing? Is that what your faith is expecting? You will know that your faith is producing expectation when your feelings are different about the future, about the unknowns, about the details of the future. And there's a rest in your spirit, a settlement and happiness in the Lord because you know that you will receive what God has promised. Because you've trusted ultimately in God and your expectation is ultimately in him. So look with expectation in the scriptures. As you read the scriptures and the promises there and ask the spirit of God to give you the faith and the expectation that he will reward you. That this is a true promise, but that promise is for you. And as you claim it, to be able to order your life around it with certain expectation, it will come to pass. Sometimes that means burning some bridges of your past so there's nothing to fall back on. Except trusting in God for the future. May the Lord give us transformed feelings of joy and peace. Oh, how we need transformed feelings. Do you think, do you think feelings can be sinful? You think feelings about certain ways and dispositions that you have need to be repented of God, before God, and confessed and, and changed? Do you like to be around joyful and peaceful people? Don't you get tired of being around negative people? Grumpy people? Worried people? People who just refuse to be encouraged. Some people don't even want to be encouraged. 
people that are yes, but people, don't be that kind of person. God doesn't want you to be that kind of person. He has given you Christ. He has given you uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faith, self-control. He's given a character that is shaped that you can see what that looks like in, in the Beatitudes. He's given you a love that is a supernatural love that is described in 1 Corinthians 13. This is who God has made you to be, saved you to be, delights for you to be, and you're going to have to trust Him that He is able and He is faithful and expect it for you. Get up off your knees out of your daily time of Bible reading and prayer and tell yourself, I will bless the Lord every day, forever and ever, and be thankful for all things and trust that He wants to bless you with joy and peace. You know what? Sometimes we think about that in terms of a standard of living. We think that we're going to only have joy if we have a big house and the right kind of cars and all of that stuff. That's just rubbish. Now what you want is God's joy and you want God's peace. In every circumstance of life, whether you're, you're wealthy or poor, whether you're in sickness or health or whatever it is, God wants you to be joyful and at peace. And God wants you to be such a person that you're a delight to be around by others <laughs> in the same kind of characteristic. It's such a wonderful display of the fruit of God's spirit when you encounter this. When you come into contact with people like this. People who are trusting that God is able. That God is faithful to his word with a constant expectation he's always going to work it out. Because Christ came to save us, to make our joy full. So let's believe this in our life with a constant, confident expectation that God will work it out for tomorrow. He's got tomorrow already planned, already detailed. You're not going to change it. Today, live in the moment, live in the spirit, believe it, and expect it for yourself, faith and hope in our great good God. Our gracious Father, we pray you would grow each one of us in this character of Christ. You would give us his joy, and his joy would be full in us. As we abide in him, he abides in us, and all of his characteristics are born into our heart of hearts and flow out through the fruit of the Spirit. We pray that you would strengthen our faith in all that you have declared in your word, that you would strengthen our faith in your complete sovereignty over every event, over every person, over every heart, over every king, over every circumstance, over every atom and molecule. You are sovereign over all that you have created. It is by your right that you are sovereign and that you are all powerful to, to accomplish all of your holy will and all of your holy will includes blessing your people, and no good thing will you withhold from those who love you.
And all these things work together for good and for your glory. Lord, strengthen our faith in your faithfulness. For you could swear by none greater, so you swore by yourself to Abraham that you will bring it to pass. And he believed it. We have testimony. We can look back on all those many things, have greater evidence than Abraham even, of everything that you have declared has come to pass just as you have spoken it. And we now have these promises sure in us and that the scriptures were written aforetime and that we might have hope. Lord, we pray that you would give us this confident expectancy for our marriages, our children, our finances, our well-being. Lord, most of all, we pray that we would have this confident expectancy in you for your glory. We pray that we would bring forth the joy and the peace in our lives that the Spirit delights in seeing in us so that we would order our lives around the expectancy. You've got all the details taken care of. And so we can live faithfully today, ordering our lives around being faithful to the gospel and obedient to our Heavenly Father, showing that we're trusting you. So encourage us in these things and affect our emotions that we might be a more joyful people, a more a people at peace with greater magnitude as we come to this time next year. We pray that each one of us can see progress in one another in these two attributes. So we commit this into your hands to be glorified and bringing forth the fruit that would delight you and please your son, glorify his name in our lives and in this world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.